Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotson Adibayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Nikki Bandini. On this edition, Real Madrid's Merseyside masterclass begs the question, Vinicius or Mbappe? Who is the best footballer in the world right now? Also, what about Napoli? They're still on their winning streak in Serie A. Can they do in the Champions League what they've done in the Italian Prem? And they're top of the league, by the way. They are top of the league. And from player to coach, from Inter to Porto, what was it that left a bitter taste in the mouth of Sergio Conceição, the enigma. First, though, I don't think we should uh, begin this podcast without talking about the drama in Germany last night with Manchester City on the one side. Only managed to get a draw. Was that a fair result yesterday in the Champions League? I think so. Great second half by by Leipzig. Obviously, I saw... Um, Manchester City at Forest at the, the the weekend throughout the match. It felt like it unfolded in a sort of similar way um, in that City dominated without creating a ton of, of chances. But from the Leipzig perspective, you, you could see them changing towards the end of the first half, I think, pushing everyone like 10 yards further up. And then they had the fullback in Benny Henrichs who could provide an outlet over there. And it, it, it made a made a massive difference. I'm interested to see what can happen if Christopher Nkunku is fit, properly fit for the second leg. Yeah, it was interesting, wasn't it? In the second half, it felt like Leipzig made those changes, including Nkunku, and things got a bit more lively for them. Meanwhile, Pep Guardiola just refused to make changes and decided that he was going to, I don't know, sometimes it feels like he's determined to make a point and his post-game interviews were sufficiently chippy <laughs> that make me think that he did. But 
yeah, I don't know. I still expect City to go through, but it's certainly a, a more interesting tie after the way that second half played out. Interesting with his chippy post-match interview because there was a a post-match debrief as well on the pitch. Mm. You're thinking, what's going on here? Is he happy? Is he not happy? Well, I mean, he, he's insisted that this was a good result and haven't you all seen what Leipzig's home for? Like, which is, you know, fair enough to sort of say, but it's all in the delivery, isn't it, sometimes? It didn't feel like the delivery of someone who was confidently making that point. It felt like the delivery no. of someone who was trying to, I don't know... Um, clear the chip from their shoulder and correct me if I'm wrong only on Berlin one there in the last fortnight <laughs> but just because he doesn't watch all the matches in the Bundesliga <laughs> give Pep a break and indeed because more importantly his neighbours down the road um, well they had to eat a slice or two of Scouse humble pie didn't they against Real Madrid talking about 5-2 uh, yeah and um, I, I know a lot of people are, are framing this as um, typical of Real Madrid in the Champions League. You know, they like to dig themselves a hole and, and pull themselves out of it. But it felt a bit more on the brink at various stages in the knockout stages of the Champions League this year. I mean, they didn't just pull themselves out of the hole. They filled in the foundation and <laughs> built a palace on top, didn't this they? This is true. Yes. I, I mean, they were great in that second half. I think Liverpool helped them a little bit by defending really quite far up the pitch. But I think if you look at where it all started, it all starts really with Vinicius and that goal he scores in, mm. in, in, in the first half. Because at that point, they look absolutely in danger of being overrun, Real Madrid. And um, they always tread a fine line anyway, I think, Real Madrid, between having a first 15, 16 group of players who they can completely rely on and maybe being a little bit thin in some positions, particularly compared to to some of their rivals. But, you know, the big players all stood up on, on this occasion, which which made an enormous difference. Yeah, I, I think there's something in... I, I, it's a point I've made before, but when you talk about Carlo Ancelotti's qualities as a manager, I, I've always thought that one of the reasons why this sort of notion that he does best at the big clubs has some truth in it, I think there's just something in the fact that he he doesn't ever convey anxiety in a sort of public <laughs> way. And, no. I, and I don't think there's like, I think, you know, there's, to use the most horrible expression that for some reason is still in the English language, more than one way to skin a cat. Um, there are different ways to be a manager and and you know, I, I, it's known that I'm an Arsenal fan. I, I enjoy Mikel Arteta's way of being. But I think for a club like Real Madrid, having Ancelotti just be so resolutely himself all the time someone who nixes the drama yeah it's yeah it, there's a word for it in italian stramatizzare, which I, I love it literally means to take the drama out of a situation mm. and i think he does it so well he you just sort of and i think it was key to their run to the champions league final well to win the, the champions league last season was just that feeling of even when it's not quite the, the scoreline isn't quite right or the game doesn't feel like it's going quite right you look to the bench and there's just someone there who's going we're still real madrid you know you're all still brilliant we can work it out. And and there's something more tangible than that as well. You know, there's, there's there's that sort of attitude and I think that manifests itself perhaps in the way that to get into it a bit, Zinedine Zidane sometimes Vinicius Jr. would be his first change and he's not for Ancelotti. Ancelotti leaves him there and goes, well, mm. I know what your pace, what that electric sort of way of running at people can do against tired legs. I, I think people look at mm. Vinicius's numbers 
this season and think, well, they're a little bit down on on last season. But it's never just about the numbers. Mm. It's about the moments when those numbers are right. the Champions League last season. You can't Definitely. argue with that. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And that's, that's what we're talking about, I guess, in coming up at the big moments. And I think if you set it against the backdrop, and we've talked about it on here, of everything that he's had to put up with this season on slash off the pitch because he's been on the pitch while he's received a lot of the racial abuse and some of the racial abuse shamefully has been dished out in in, in television studios as well. But this has been going on a a long time since last season. Happened again at the weekend uh, away at Osasuna and a 22-year-old is having to put up with this every single week that he deals with it with the utmost dignity and then... He turns up in the big games and, and bends them to it, his will. Isn't, it's extraordinary. Isn't it just like Nicky says that you've got somebody who is a captain of the ship, the calming effects on him? Because mm. I don't I don't doubt. I, I think we're a little bit unfair on Zinedine Zidane because this is a different Vinicius Junior we're talking sure. about. But nevertheless, yeah, an older one, yeah. But nevertheless, yeah, sure. when you're going through everything that he's going through at the moment, you need somebody like Carlo Ancelotti who... To give him his dues, um, the other night, he didn't jump up and down and say, we're the first team ever to have beaten, uh, to, to have scored four goals against Liverpool at Anfield. Four goals and more. No, but He didn't jump up. He should have done right. that. He could have. You're right, but you're both right because that's Ancelotti mm-hmm. in, in a nutshell. There's never any platforming of him. Yeah. There's, there's never him saying, look at me. This was my plan and this was how it's unfolded. He pushes it all onto the players, really, all the credit onto the onto the players. And he's he's just a blast shield, really. Mm-hmm. It's extraordinary because in an era when most coaches, the most elite level coaches, like nothing more but to either explicitly or slightly less explicitly talk about how clever they are. He's not keen on that, is he? Despite the fact that amongst all great coaches, and think he's got like the best part of twenty-five years' experience as a coach now. How many times has he changed? How many times has he evolved in that? And he continues to evolve from club to club, doesn't he? Which oh, is yeah, remarkable. Of course. I mean, you go back to Milan. Of course, it was the, the Christmas tree formation was everything, and that was his mm. sort of great innovation. But he's he's constantly changed his tactics. He's constantly adapted, and probably that's why. Madrid are so grateful to have him right now in this moment where they can't sort of do everything they want to perhaps um, and and own things that way. And I was thinking, of course, sliding doors moments, but they tried, they did try to sign Mbappe, didn't they, in the summer? And 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 how would that team have looked different with him in it? Mm. And and what would Vinicius's role have been if, if that had happened? And I, I just think he's he's got that sense of it's it's more than just football with Ancelotti. There's there's a sense of worldliness to him. Of course, he he played football at the highest level, and I think some people. I've heard some sort of other coaches almost talk about that as as one of the reasons that he's able to be the way he is is because he was a brilliant footballer. And you hear other footballers, sorry, other managers who didn't consider themselves to be such brilliant footballers and feel like they had to prove something. Conte, for instance, I think always feels right. like even though he actually was a very good footballer, mm. he, in his own mind, he was just a very hardworking footballer and that was his only talent. And so he has to work harder. Ancelotti, I'm certain, works incredibly hard. <laughs> But he has a way of conveying to you that he doesn't. You know, when he when he gives interviews in it in Italian to an Italian journalist, he talks about things that are nothing to do with football. He talks about food. He talks about when he was living in Canada and he 
learnt what the correct way to deal with if you see a bear is. Like, <laughs> you know, don't run up a tree because they can climb trees. You have to face it down. Honestly, Thank you for that he, info. He, I didn't he, know. <laughs> I, I've seen all these interviews with him where you think he's going to talk about the intricacies of, of this type team or that. And he, it's almost like those aren't the things he's most interested in talking about. And perhaps it is because that came naturally to him as a player. And be, perhaps because it became naturally to him as a player, he can talk to someone like Vinicius to whom there is so oh. much natural and just say, don't over worry about it. Be yourself, play the football that you know how to play. And I think in those moments when it would be easy to panic, when you are losing to Liverpool at Anfield, when another lesser team might go, well, it's a lot. He just exudes that, doesn't he? He exudes that. Don't worry about it. You're good at football. You'll handle it. Like, And I think that sometimes is what they need. Of course. He would say to us, and I'm not going to do the accent. I have yeah. all the respect for him that I uh, should do. But he would say, why are you talking about me? Let's talk about mm, Vinicius. Okay. That's who you should be talking about. And that's what Liam on Instagram is doing. He's asking, is Vinicius Jr. capable of breaking up the future Holland and Mbappe duopoly? I think maybe. I think the reason we're looking at it as an Mbappe and Holland duopoly, and certainly in terms of the Ballon d'Or, is yeah, the, the the I guess I guess the the way we look at the Ballon d'Or nowadays is that it's 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 about numbers, and really Messi and Ronaldo have put us in that way of we need to express excellence sheer, sheerly by numbers, and that's the only way we can do it. Which I think is quite a reductive way of looking at football and also we can't constantly compare everyone to two of the greatest footballers of all time but I, I think it's weird because of the way we look at everything and certainly everything as in terms of who is the best player in the world and who's going to be the next best player in the world and that there has to be some numerical argument for that even though it was what 15 years ago. It kind of feels anachronistic that Fabio Cannavaro won the Ballon d'Or now, doesn't it? You know, it feels like a different lifetime, not just a different generation. I think that's a really fascinating point. Like, do we sort of, have we got into an era where like everything has to be greatest of all time? Because, you know, I, I've just come back, as you know, from the Super Bowl and mm. I found myself doing that a bit after the Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes and do we have to compare him to Tom Brady right away? You know, can we not just talk about how brilliant he is? And, and I think, you know, you saw it in tennis, there was Federer and Nadal. And then after that, everything was, you know, is it the next Federer and Nadal? I, I do think rivalries drive interest in football. I think having two players like Messi and Ronaldo, who you can see playing off against each other, who, who you have that, it makes it more compelling. It makes exactly. it more exciting. It's Nas and Jay-Z, isn't it? But, but, but it is oversimplifying. Because even when you were saying that there about Cambinicius, and I think there's no reason at this age, he's 22, to, to say that he can't. My immediate thought was, well, what about Osimhen? Like, you know, mm. there are other players I want to have in this conversation. So always reducing it to two players is going to be reductive. Having said that, the World Cup was about two players, wasn't it? Ultimately, the mm. um, at least the backstory of the World Cup, the drama of the World Cup. Um, Messi scores one. Guess who's going to score the next one? It was like that two and four. In, in terms of that with Vinicius, I think that's a really interesting point because I do wonder if, I think most of us think that that was probably Neymar's last World Cup for a variety of reasons. I wonder if Vinicius has better World Cups in the future when Neymar is not in the mm. team. Like I think when you talk about positionally, when you were talking, Nicky, before about positionally, how do Vinicius and Mbappe click if they're in the same Madrid team? And you know what? We might find out in the next year or two. Yeah. Um, 
I, th- I think that's a really interesting point because it's not just about individuality. It's, it's about it's it's about but it's it's about complementarity as well. It's about mm-hmm. chemistry, and I think there there are two ways immediately just off the top of my head uh, looking at the Mbappe Vinicius thing. There's the way of looking at it to think that Mbappe might wander off to the left and eat his space. Mm-hmm. There's the other way of looking at it, which is good players will find a way to play together. And if he does drift over into the left, maybe Vinicius comes into the centre and all of a sudden he scores more goals. Because that- he's, he's, got, he's got seven in La Liga so far this season. I wonder if there's an argument. If he was playing with Mbappe... Do they both get more goals? It's a fascinating uh, and, and one. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. On the flip side, uh, from PHX underscore X, something like that on Instagram, <laughs> is the Imperial March the official Real Madrid hymn? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is if you're a Liverpool fan. It would be great, wouldn't it? If you heard them come onto the pitch to Star Wars, you think, whoa, this is heavy. <laughs> Well, the thing is, I guess we find out a little bit more about that in the return leg because they always play uh, Hello Madrid, the club anthem, when they score a goal. And it, it does have that feeling of, uh, just so you know, away team, you have been uh, touched by the hand of God here. <laughs> and there's probably nothing you can you can do about it. I, I, I quite enjoy that. But in terms of them being inevitable, uh, Ancelotti is a, a huge part of that, I, I think, as Nicky says, like removing... Um, any panic from a situation. But they're in an interesting spot at the moment because they're they're sort of intergenerational, aren't they? They're moving between um, Benzema, Modric, Benzema, yeah, and yeah. then Vinicius, uh, Kamavinga. And you can only think that not just Vinicius, but especially Kamavinga, playing in a game like that where you start and you come back like that, that's an enormous benefit to him. It's an absolutely enormous benefit to him. And it's only going to make Real Madrid better. I mean, I think with Camavinga is an interesting one because he had a very, very difficult start to that game. I mean, he was, he was chasing shadows for the first 15 minutes and then really grew into it. Now, I think in terms of coach and player being on the same page, him and Ancelotti fit together very well. Now, there's been a lot of doubt. like There was speculation of him maybe uh, moving to the Premier League Camavinga or something like that. All that speculation was generated from in England, not in Spain, by the way, I might add. But there was always the sense, I guess a a little bit of panic in France of this guy is one of our best talents and he's not starting all the time. Well, of course he's not. He's at Real Madrid and he's still learning the game. You know, he's just coming out of his, his teenage years. I think that the fact that he's always a been a coper, Camavinga. You chuck him into like really difficult situations. You think his his, his first big game for Ren playing defensive midfield against PSG at sixteen, and they go and win the game. And he, he's, he's maybe he's maybe the man of the match. It's incredible. But that's why because he can just deal with anything. That feeling that you always have that he can just deal with anything that's been thrown at him. It means that he's sometimes put in quite unflattering context, like. In the World Cup final, they end up sticking him on at left back. He's not a left back, mm. but it's like, oh, you'll be fine. You'll, you'll deal with it. And all these things, I think that Kamavinga is destined to ride, certainly in the first part of his career, quite a bumpy road because his coaches and everyone around him think, oh, Eduardo will deal with it. He'll be fine. 
It'll be fine. He's not just a talent. He's someone who can deal with difficult situations. And that occasionally means he'll be placed in a situation where he faces difficulty or he looks vulnerable. But I think you look at the end of the match rather than the start of the match. And this is the level of conversation we get from what might seem to some people a flippant question about Star Wars and Real Madrid. <laughs> so make sure whatever you do that you don't forget our addresses. If you want to get in touch, at Football Ramble, at Dotton, at Ibayo, at uh, Nicky Bandini, at Andy Brassel. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. But are Napoli Champions League contenders? They're still, remarkably perhaps, some people might think at the top of Serie A, they're top of the league, but can they can they do the same in the Champions League or not? Napoli, of course, not so long ago managed by Ancelotti. You got nice win against Liverpool with them as well in the Champions mm. League, but didn't ever do didn't ever do what it looks like Luciano Spalletti's on course to do, which is get them to the, the quarterfinals. Napoli have never been in the quarterfinals of the European Cup. It's never happened. That's remarkable. Right? It's, it's, crazy. it's yeah. crazy. You think <laughs> with um, with uh, Maradona, they had success in the other European competitions, but not the European Cup. And um, what's sort of so remarkable about it, and we were talking about this just before we came on, weren't we, is that it didn't feel like a big deal. It It didn't feel like this was not a sort of eye-catching win over Eintracht Frankfurt. It wasn't a sort of, I don't know, explosions and fireworks win over Eintracht Frankfurt. It was a, you've gone away from home to a team that won the Europa League last season and you just beat them without ever giving them a sniff. And perhaps that's partly how Frankfurt approached it. Frankfurt approached it in a very sort of try to be secure first mindset and for half an hour or so, they were able to stop Napoli really creating chances. But Napoli were just so always in control, so always authoritative in the way they approached it. When the time came after about half an hour, they started chipping away at that confidence of Frankfurt. They started finding those channels down the right-hand side, in particular through Lozano. 
the goal felt inevitable. And once the goal had been scored, there was never any hint. I mean, really no hint at all that they were going to let that lead slip. It was just a question of how many more they were going to add on to it. And I think that's really as much as you could ask of them in this game. There will be bigger tests ahead in the Champions League. But for a team who the question has been, oh, it's too easy in Serie A. There's no competition in Serie A. <laughs> because they're 15 points clear. Sure. But it's never easy. No, it's not. It's not. And but they make it look easy. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. And I think there's been that feeling of what's going to happen when they face something else. Well, you know, that's as good an answer as you can give, isn't it? I think it's interesting what you were saying about the way in which Eintracht Frankfurt approached it. I felt that they approached it in a very similar way to how they approached the home group game with Spurs, mm-hmm. as you say. To, to, to keep it tight, to to be sensible. And we know Oliver Glasner's sides can defend really well. And I think it's a reasonable tactic when you have Kolo Moani and Goetzer up front because, mm-hmm. you know, if you defend well, you would back them to create a moment of magic to to maybe get you in, in front in the game. But you're right. I think really this underlined, it underlined to me after a time when, you know, we've we've spent, so long talking about how the rest of Europe's clubs are, are, are it's an impossible task to keep up with with the Premier League's best but I think we've seen actually in this round of Champions League action that strategy is at least as important as money mm-hmm. team building is at least as important as money and Napoli are a great example of that I mean we spoke about them at the start of the season and I'll quite honestly say I didn't think they made top four at the start of the season you look at the mm-hmm. You look at the experience they lost, the sense that Aurelio Di Laurentiis, the president, is is, is going to cut costs because he's, he's fed up paying a fortune to finish second. Mm-hmm. And you can have no idea how Spalletti and these new players, and some of the old players as well, mesh. It has been absolutely incredible. But it shows you that Napoli have built something extraordinary over this season. It's not about having the most money it's not even about having the most experience in, in, in this case because, you know, Spalletti is is a very admirable coach. He is not a serial winner. Mm. And then you look at, you know, Kvarat Skelia, who's come completely out of left field and is dominating games in Serie A and Champions League alike. Ozyman, better than he's ever been before. I think you see other players like um, Mario Dui, who didn't start this game. Um, Zambo and Giza, who's just been brilliant for them, really absolutely outstanding. And I think it is like, of course, money's important. And the the size of your wage bill is always going to be important because size of wage bill rather than transfer fee normally correlates over, over long term to, to greater success. But you have to say by sticking to their plan, it's, it's impossible not to have confidence in Napoli really isn't it yeah and you know to your point about in pre-season I mean it wasn't just you there were Napoli fans literally sort of interrupting the team presentation shouting Svelietti wake up at at Spalletti like you know like you know what are you doing we've had all these players leave why are you not panicked why are you not and obviously that's there was no panic from Spalletti because he knew that he was confident in what he was developing. There was some late transfer activities sort of after that. They, they signed Raspadori late in the transfer window. But I think the point was that Spalletti knew in himself that he was building something that was going in the right direction. And 
yeah, I mean, there's so there's so many individuals to pick out. Osimen actually missed a lot of the group stage because he was injured, and that was actually the big story of the group stage for me was how well Napoli could now handle his absence because they mm. have got more depth up front. Um, but for him to then sort of be back here in the knockout stages to score, had another one ruled out for offside. Um, but but a really sort of confident start to the knockout stage for him. Kvarat Scalia, who was giving this interview recently, but with Dizone, and he was asked about, um, you know, do you think that people are starting to like work you out a bit? You've got all these defenders studying how your, you know, your way of dribbling, because he's got quite a unique way of dribbling. He's not, mm. he's nothing like Vinicius, for instance, as a dribbler. He's a very different kind of dribbler. I saw someone compare him to George Best and I don't know if it's a perfect comparison, but I get it. They have that sort of hip swaying. It's quite of, mazy, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I was just wanted to pick up on his, his response to that, which was, you know, to say, um, it doesn't matter what they're studying. It's not going to work. And <laughs> I mean, first of all, the confidence of a 22 year old is only just, you know, moved into, I guess, the big, you know, bigger league mm. and then be on this stage in the Champions League. And then you back it up with that backheel assist for the goal. I mean, that's, you know, you're right. No one did see that coming. I didn't see it coming. The defenders didn't see it coming. And that's, that's where he is right now. And, you know, and on top of that, he missed a penalty in this game. Napoli have missed four penalties already in this Champions League. And you'd think maybe that would be a Costly. hurdle they have to overcome. Mm. Doesn't matter. Miss a penalty. We'll score two anyway. Score three anyway to get against Rangers. It's it's extraordinary, the confidence of this team. And the mentality Spalletti's managed to teach them, which is to have this way of approaching games that is very we don't have to have one way of doing this. We look for the gaps and then we exploit them. And I think in this game, you saw it because that right-hand side for Napoli, that was, it took a while, but that was almost the one area in which Frankfurt were willing to show a little bit of adventure. Felix Max was pushing up and the centre-back was getting drawn out Mm. a little bit. And as soon as that happened, there's Lozano attacking that space. And he did it three times in a row. It was him who got down that sideline, hits the post before winning the penalty. It was him who sets up Osman for the goal. And it was him who sets up Osman literally less than a minute later and it gets ruled out for offside which is actually just Osman being a bit sloppy and not running behind him and they're so ruthless like that they, they will find your one weakness and when they find it good luck because they're going to come at you hard for it having said that we should we'll be remiss of us not to mention that there was a game-changing sending off as well mm. uh, during the, it was a really horrible tackle by the way I just I literally I, what do you not I, think I, so I wasn't convinced that it was a, it was a red actually really yeah I'd, I, he stamped on the bloke's ankle. Well, I, I, I think, I think he got to the ball and caught him with a tiny bit of follow through. I didn't, I didn't think it was, it, it was that Mate, bad. I've come I'd, off a I'd, motorcycle and trust me, it was that bad. You break your ankle. Yeah, I mean, if you're unfortunate, you break that would be career ending. That's I, the reason why there are those rules. Yeah, you see, about, I, I don't think that's the same thing. I don't think he went in with studs up. I think his foot gave way a little bit after he got the ball. And I, I think he's, I think he's a little bit unfortunate there, Colo Moani. I mean, I, I guess that's veering into a different discussion over: do modern boots kind of encourage these tackles by having too much given them? But I, I think that's probably for another podcast. But the the question that I would ask, though, because you've said that uh, the Napoli owner is tired of coming second all the time, so I, I imagine Nicky, the project was let's win Serie A, but not let's win the Champions League. Isn't it? What, was that even the project? No, I think, I think I don't think I don't think anyone at Napoli expected to win the league this season. I think you know the idea was always to get better. The idea with with De Laurentiis is always, can I keep this team very competitive while not losing money on it? Because he doesn't lose money on his team. I mean, other than to some extent, everyone did with COVID. But um, you know, Napoli are very sort of 
in that way virtuous of running the balance sheets running the right way of course we've just had the big Cruz Valenza scandal with with uh, Juventus which is ongoing and Napoli are not above what looks like a bit of that as well but um but they've always been one of the better run clubs in Italy in terms of keeping their finances the right way I think their their, their plan was just to keep playing good football while having a not excessive wage bill but the fact they've managed to unearth these players Kvarat Scalia Ossiman has taken them to a different level Scott ask realistically what are Napoli's chances of winning the Champions League I, I think it's so draw dependent mm. um, I mean they're, they're getting through this round they'll they'll be in the quarterfinals I've, I've no doubt about that um, I mean it's, it's difficult to say because you would assume that they're allowed a little bit of leeway by what an incredible lead they have in, in Serie A but we don't know how big that lead will be by the quarterfinals, by the semi-finals, how much of a role experience will play down the line. I think what's been so impressive, and if there is a reason to believe in them, it's what Nicky was saying about that unexpected depth. And the fact that what Spalletti has done very well is he's managed to keep the players who aren't in the first choice 11 happy so they can contribute to a degree when they come in. So Raspadori's made contributions. Gio Simeone's made big contributions, even though they're demonstrably not first choice. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the most amazing things is how engaged and involved all those players are. Raspadori yeah. is like best mates with Ossiman. Like they love each other. And you'd think, you know, he's come from Sassuolo where he's playing all the time, coming there and not getting to play. Simeone even more so. Simeone's barely played this season, but in the Champions League, he's won games for them. It's extraordinary, their depth. I, I agree with you on the draw. I think it's going to be a huge part of it. The way they play sometimes, I mean, I think literally in, in Serie A, there's only two players who give the ball away more than Kvaratskhelia does. That's a crazy stat, right? Like he's a brilliant dribbler, but he gives the ball away more than almost anyone. But Napoli win the ball back literally again, better than anyone else in the league in terms of the numbers. Can you do that against Real Madrid? Can you do that against Bayern Munich? Are you going to get punished by someone who's got such ruthlessness that they can take it to a different level? At some point, I hope we're going to find out because they deserve to have a tie like that. They deserve to have that go at one of the best teams in Europe. But whatever they achieve in the Champions League will have a knock-on effect uh, in terms of whether they are able to keep their players or not. And that's the question that MF Gloom asked on Twitter. Great we, name. Great yeah, name. I, I couldn't do better than that. Uh, the MF bit is the best bit, isn't it? Not so much the gloom. Anyway, do you do we think Napoli will be ripped apart by the quote-unquote big clubs or hold on to their best players for at least one more season? I, I think, sadly, I'll be very surprised if Osman doesn't go this summer. He will not go cheap. De Laurentiis never sells below the market value. He will get his his pound of flesh. But um, I think Osterman, having been there for three years, this is probably the summer when he goes. I think Ferret Skelly is a different case because this is his first season there. I think there'll be more sort of spirit to dig in and, and hold on to him. But again, it, it depends a bit who comes and what they're offering. If someone's putting 200 million euros on the table, then that'll be a short conversation. I don't know if anyone will put that amount on mm. the table, but I'm just sort of giving the extreme example because in the end, De Laurentiis runs a business. Let's take a look at what's happening in Portugal now. We, at the top of this podcast, Andy, suggested that Sergio Conceição was an enigma, but of course he's not because for keen listeners uh, to OTC 
we talk regularly about him, don't we? Because not just as a Porto coach, but also about his background in Italy, in Inter Milan and so on. Yeah, that's right. And um, of course, on Wednesday night, he went back to his old club, uh, Inter, with Porto. And he said beforehand, I, I, I don't really care about playing former clubs. What I care about is being the coach of Porto because I've got an incredible connection with the club. But the, his behaviour on the touchline always suggests he leans into the needle all the time. And we saw that before when, um, you know, he, he was he was taking on Roma in the Champions League with Porto. And he said, oh, it's not a big deal just because I used to play for, for Lazio. And then he got properly stuck in on the touchline. Not that the match itself, obviously, not that the match itself necessarily has an influence on whether he's willing to get involved on the touchline or not. Bear in mind, this is a coach who, I mean, he's still in his 40s. He's been red carded or sent from the bench 22 times, <laughs> 22 times in his coaching career, which is an extraordinary effort. I mean, he's intense and his teams play like it as well. Mm. I mean, I don't know what you thought about this game, Nicky, but I thought Porto were very unlucky to not get at least a, a, a draw from it. The Otavio sending off, talking of needle, was probably gave into the little window that they needed in the in, in the in the final quarter of the, the the game especially as he's so industrious but what's always made and we've talked about it before on the on the pod what's always made porto so unusual as a, a champions league team over these last couple of years is concesao he talks all the time about being aggressive and his teams are exactly that. Now, Portuguese teams have not always been that in the past. They've been more more, more, more technical than yeah. aggressive. But th th this Porto team are, are both. And bear in mind, if you go back to the winter window, he's not happy at all because they don't pick anyone up. They're still trailing um, Benfica by five points in the league. And so he's just got to make do and mend with what he's got. Now, he's got a group of players who would run through brick walls for him but I mean he's demanding as a coach as he was as a player if not more right oh absolutely I, I, I thought this um, to, to your point about the game I thought it was a really fascinating game where even though there wasn't sort of full of incident I felt like from the beginning both teams were playing right on the edge of their nerve mm. and that does reflect I'm certain Conseil Sal's way of being to a certain extent it probably reflects as well Inter at a slightly sort of uncomfortable point in this season of, of having none of that comfort that Napoli have about how they're doing in Serie A and, and being anxious on that front and wanting to seize this opportunity as well. Um, but his sort of, yeah, his, his persona as a manager is is really interesting. He's, he's, as you said, very sort of aggressive. I think he was a player. He was a brilliant dribbler as a player. He obviously mm. played at Lazio and at Inter and, and at Parma as well. He was a teammate of... Simone Inzaghi um, for a while at, at Lazio. In fact, that was a, a fun line in Gazetta actually where they said they'd gone back and, and counted their appearances together and they were like, we remembered it being more. So it's <laughs> funny how those sort of mo things that you sort of get impressions of in your head, like ideas of certain players and combinations and then, um, but they still play together like 30 times or something. And, mm. and he was, you know, he was a really bullish footballer. Like he was, Again, like a, a great dribbler, as I said, but it was that sort of one of those players who, when they got the ball and went, just had that directness and that energy to them and that self-belief 
which in Italy I think is probably best remembered in the fact that his literal debut for um for for um, Lazio was in the Supercoppa and he, he scored the winning goal in the 90th minute. Oh, mm. Just some confidence to come to Italy, play your first game. But he was part of that title winning side at, at Lazio and 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 was a really important player there and um Get, I'm getting off into a different topic. No, you're not actually. I don't think you are either because I, I think the remarkable thing about him as a coach, you often get coaches who are top players whose style as a coach differs quite significantly from what they mm. were as a player. Zinedine Zidane? Yeah, exactly. That's a really great example. Mm. I, don't, I don't think he does at all Mm-mm. because it's that combination of flair, having that impetus to attack and... You know, being being aggressive on and off the ball, mm-hmm. that's him all over, and that is his teams all over. His team at Nantes was like that before he before he went to Porto, and Porto have, he's, he's never used having limited means as an excuse to be defensive. And I think in in some of those occasions, if you think of like occasions where they've fallen short in the Champions League under Conceição, like for example, where they got taken to pieces by Liverpool at the Dragao going back when they got beaten 5-0 a couple of years ago, it's because there's no sense of, well, they're better than us, maybe, or they've got more money than us, maybe we should be a little bit more mm-hmm. cautious. It's like, come on, just win the challenges. It's only 11 against 11. Let's have it. But the questions don't stop coming in as to what happens to him in the future. And they're slightly disrespectful, you might think, Andy, because it's almost as if to say he's too good a coach for the Portuguese leagues and people are looking at Serie A in particular. I don't, I don't think that's disrespectful. You don't or, think so? Or, no, I don't. I don't. And also, you, you, you talked about Serie A there. I think that's exactly the right place to start because um, he's got this incredible relationship with the, with the country. He played his best football there and he's never really hidden the fact that he would like to coach there at at some point now obviously Lazio and Inter are the most obvious spots of where he he might end up I think his work at Porto and his work in the Champions League bear in mind the way the power structure of European football has, has changed in the last 20 years I mean it was extraordinary when Porto won the European Cup, uh, the Champions League in 2004. Now, Constance talked about this before the game against Inter and say it said it's incredibly unlikely that a team not from the top five leagues goes and wins the, the Champions League now. And I think that's right. I think it's Nottingham we, we, Forest, we can, isn't it? Yeah, well, we, we, we can say it's unlikely, but even, even more so, I think, with the balance of power, the balance of money between the leagues, it's, it's virtually impossible. And I think in its own way that he's got Porto to so many Champions League quarterfinals is a massive feather in the cap. I'm not saying it's the same as winning the Champions League in 2004, but doing what Mourinho did in 2004, incredible achievement though it is, I think is several percent less possible now than it, it it was nearly two decades ago. Definitely, that's definitely true. I think, and and just to speak to the point of of, of Italy, he he's been explicit about that that he yeah. sort of sees himself as as I think he's described himself as like you know I think he's quite an Italian coach. He would thinks he can do it in Italy. He would like to go to Italy. He's he's kind of not subtly dropped that hint that he wants to do it, and he's not subtly said that he'd like to coach Lazio one day. And I think that's not at all inconceivable, even in the sort of short to medium term. I mean, Maurizio Sarri has done okay at Lazio. If he gets them into the Champions League, that will be a, a nice coup. 
he's he's really drawn value out of some particular players. I think he's done wonderful work with Matias Akanyi. But you don't feel like it's one of the great sort of love affairs between a, a club and a coach, mm. him and Sadi and Lazio. I think it's it's not such a sort of embedded and perfect relationship that, that it's necessarily going to last forever. And Inter also could be possible. I think in Zaghi's time at Inter, again, we're, we're two years in and it feels like there's been plenty of successes. Cup successes have been very consistent. Look, he's, he's won the... Um, the Supercoppa twice, he won the Coppa Italia last season. And if he gets Inter into the quarterfinals of the Champions League, that's going to be huge progress over what they were doing under Conte and, and Luciano Spalletti. I mean, is is that actually what could save him? I mean, if I was looking for a qualifying factor to Inzaghi at Inter, I would say the off-pitch pitch management of stuff and transfer business has not helped him. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. And if he could surpass, because Inter have made since 2010 have made almost an annual when they've been in it, mm-hmm. almost an annual effort of shooting themselves in the foot in the Champions League. Absolutely. So last eight would be incredible. I agree with you. No, I, I think Inzaghi's doing a good job in in lots of ways. I think that Inter's there's a sense of sort of frustration that you win the league and and it's been what feels like slowly just falling backwards ever since that domestically. Mm. Uh, but I think this season he's managed the big games in particular so well. I mean, you think about beating Barcelona in, in the Champions League, knocking them out. No one in Italy saw that coming. No one was predicting that. Coming back from from the winter break and beating Napoli and, and suggesting that the title race could be back on. Now winning this game away to um, winning this game at home to Porto. Sorry, he's getting the big games right. And if he keeps doing that, I think he's going to get a lot more leeway. And certainly it's true that the club is completely frozen at the moment by the fact that ownership is not able to invest any money into the club. It's it's a huge mm. problem for them. Um, but if they were to miss out on the top four, which is not inconceivable right now, it's a very tight race in Italy for the top four, I think that would also be a very damaging mark against him. So it feels like right now everything's a bit in the balance for him. At Inter. Can I throw in an outsider for Concisau where I would love to see him end up? I would love to see him as a Simeone successor at Atletico Madrid. That would be because I think someone who plays the more attacking football that a lot of those players crave, but has the same level of unreasonable demand as his predecessor, it's a, a culture evolution rather than a culture revolution, maybe. I like the way and you said that. If you want to play managerial, sort of carousel with them, Simeone has always said he's going to coach Inter one day. Oh, there we go. I like it. <laughs> Saw it. Mate, we didn't make that one up, did we? I mean, we didn't plan that. It's a point where we ask you for a game of the week to recommend, Nikki. Uh, there is a big matchup in Italy, I see. Yeah, it's, I'm sorry. I'm predictable, aren't I? With picking Italian games, basically always. But Milan-Atalanta on, on Sunday night is, is a big game. Um, for exactly some of the reasons I was just talking about with um, the top four race being wide open. You've got Milan, Inter, Lazio... Atalanta, Roma, all of them really close together in the table right now and fighting for three places between them, essentially, given that Napoli are going to finish first. And Atalanta have been playing really fun football again lately. Adam Lukman, of course, has gone there from Leicester and has been sensational. I think he still said he has second highest scorer. There's a gap to, to, to Osimhen, but that's for everyone. Rasmus Hoyland has, has come out of nowhere. This teenager who's just absolutely setting things alight up front. They're really, really entertaining to watch right now. But Milan have similar, well, almost similar but opposite. Their results have got 
much stronger recently by doing the exact opposite, which is um, purely going to this back three saying, right, back to basics. We're conceding too many goals. We're just going to make ourselves solid at the back first and see if we can build from that. And look, it's getting results. They've started winning again domestically. They beat Tottenham in the Champions League. They're looking like they are regaining some of that confidence that, that carried them to the title last season and, and discovering new sort of young players, which purely so good at developing like Malik Chio in defence, I think has been really, really impressive the last few weeks. So a fascinating clash of two teams and, and very different styles. I know you're going to want some food to of have course. with it. Hoyland, the, the striker I just mentioned, who's really the one to watch, um, new in Italy this year and 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 uh, and talking about how much he's loved food in Bergamo, said Casoncelli, which is Ooh. a very Bergamese um, uh, type of pasta. It's a filled pasta with meat and vegetables inside. So in some senses, you could say similar to a, a tortellini, a tortelloni. Um, but it's it's wrapped in particular style. It looks a bit like a, a piece of candy. And uh, yeah, Casoncelli or Casoncelli, as they might say in, in Bergamo. I would I would recommend that and eat like Rasmus Hoyland does. So, Andy, follow that. Well, um, I've got to give a quick mention to the Madrid derby, which is at 5.30 on Saturday, simply because it's on free TV here in, here in the UK. So um, it's always really well presented by um, Semra Hunter and company. Well worth watching. And, you know, it's difficult to say no to free football. However, yes. my game of the week is going to be Sunday night. Yes, we're double screening. That's what we're doing in uh, OTC Towers um, because it's Marseille versus uh, PSG. This could almost reignite the title race if um, Marseille this is in Marseille? Yes. Oh. So this could almost reignite the title race. Now, of course, um, Marseille won their first uh, classic at home for almost 12 years in the Coupe de France a couple of weeks back, which... um, dinged the crisis bell uh, at PSG. Now, since then, um, they, they won that 4-3, as you might have seen last weekend. Um, extraordinary game where PSG were 2-0 up, 3-2 down. Um, Neymar got injured somewhere in the middle of it, so he won't be playing in this or the return fixture against Bayern Munich because he's he's hurt his ankle again. Really unfortunate for him. Um, I do wonder if it removes a bit of a headache for Christophe Galtier because he doesn't have to play the three up front who do absolutely nothing off the ball in these these biggest games. So <clears throat> maybe in a, in a way, much as Neymar will be a huge miss, may, maybe that will help. Marseille have really got the bit between their teeth at the moment. And we talked about coaches conducting the orchestra like Concisau. Igor Tudor does exactly the same. Super intense. Marseille have been great under him after a very, very difficult start to the season. And Malinowski's come in in the January transfer window and and, and, and made a, a difference and he's, he's getting better and better for them as, as well. They're terrific to watch. It is going to be an absolutely great game. And if Marseille can start that title race all over again by beating PSG and putting them in a spot, it'll be really, really interesting to eat with it. Full of base. Yeah. <laughs> You know what? I always go for Boulibes when Marseille are at home. So I had an incredible gratin dauphinoise last night. So I think, I think I'm going to go for that again as an accompaniment to some rare steak because, my goodness, this is going to be raw. Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.